In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, we are going to be covering a subject that will that is really goes to the heart of the sexual enjoyment, function, and feeling about themselves that impacts a huge percentage of the listening audience, a huge percentage of Americans, and that is chronic illness and sexuality. And my guest this evening is Dr. Gretchen Kubachi, who is a health psychologist, and I first met her in August of this year, and I was at a presentation that she did, and I know how often people have sexual health issues that are chronic, long-term things, and this is her specialty. So... I asked her if she would please come on and and be my guest. And one of the things that I thought was one of the best is when she called herself a health psychologist. So, I mean, I'm I'm trusting, Gretchen, that you are online with us now? Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you for being with me this evening. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Now, looking forward to our conversation. The same. Please go through and let people know the range and the scope of how you came into doing what you're doing, because you have a very mosaic background that brings... Yes. <laughs> Is that a nice way of putting it? Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> and you bring a sensitivity and awareness from many different levels. So if you can let people know that, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse of a lot of things they might identify with. Okay. Yeah, I do actually have a very interesting and eclectic background. I am a midlife career changer in terms of becoming a psychologist, and so I come with a lot of background in marketing, sales, finance, art. I have a degree in art, uh, working as a massage therapist, working in real estate, all sorts of different things. So I've really worked with a huge cross-section of the population. I know a lot about what people are dealing with. And professionally, um, what I did was develop sort of an interesting background also because I learned about some things that are not very commonly taught on the West Coast, which is a form of therapy called relational cultural 
theory. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a form of feminist therapy, and it's very much about being proactive and very present with what you're dealing with. And then I also practice other forms of therapy like mind-body therapy, mindfulness, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So all of that cobbled together is something where I have a really broad awareness. I have a lot of different types of lifestyles and people, situations, issues. I also became a certified bereavement facilitator along the way, which is very helpful when dealing with chronic illness or terminal illness or losses related to the illnesses. Mm-hmm. No, and I know when you did your presentation, you made mm-hmm. a, for me, a distinction between dealing with a, a, a an immediate onset of a chronic issue and something that might have been there for someone's whole life. Right. There's there are commonalities, of course. If a person, say, is born or develops type one diabetes very early on, and then you have someone who becomes a type two diabetic, for example, as an older person, they both have diabetes. But the situations are very, very different. If you've had a disease or a condition or started having surgeries at a very young age, you really don't know the difference of what it's like to be fully able-bodied or to not have some sort of medical regimen that you have to follow Mm -hmm. in terms of testing or equipment and supplies or limitations on your lifestyle or what you can do. And so there's a different kind of mindset around it, in some ways positive because there's an adaptation process that's gone on for a very long time, but in other ways it contributes to things like depression because it has been going on for so long and there's been a lot longer to compare with what other people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the person who develops an illness or uh, of any sort of acute or chronic nature later in life, what happens is that quite often they're accustomed to living a very normal life, not seeing doctors, not having any limitations on them, and then all of a sudden they find that they are at the doctor's office all the time or they have to do things like inject themselves or that there are activities they can or can't do. They only can wear certain kinds of shoes or they have to wait an hour before, you know, after taking a certain kind of pill before they can actually eat. And those things are really hard. You know, there's a lot of loss associated with that, loss of freedom, loss of lifestyle. A lot of changes that they experience physically is very abrupt quite often, especially if there's some sort of surgery involved or an injury. Right, and and then, of course, then loss of how they know themselves. Right, and this hits people really hard. So uh, a typical case example would be um, a 56-year-old male patient who... Typically, you know, didn't go to the doctor except once every five years and started having some sexual functioning symptoms, went to the doctor, and was diagnosed with prostate cancer and diabetes. Ay, ay, ay. And that was a huge impact. So obviously the cancer was a priority issue to deal with. And then a few months later after the cancer was addressed was this horrible thing called diabetes, which required radical lifestyle changes in order to accommodate. And this is a person who went from having zero doctor's appointments a year to having 20, 30, 40, 50 doctor's appointments a year. Right. A lot of adjustment issues around that. Well, and particularly, you know, given our topic of, you know, choice this evening, from a sexuality standpoint, mm-hmm. the, you know, as soon as there's anything with diabetes for men and sexual function, that's huge. Right. And yeah. 
Diabetes um, will result in some sort of erectile dysfunction for up to two-thirds of diabetic men. Wow. And it is, it is yeah. <laughs> wow. When I, uh, when I see someone who is refusing to go to the doctor and who is exhibiting signs of diabetes, if I'm getting a little bit desperate, I'll ask them flat out. So how long do you actually want to have an active sexual life? Because it's going to disappear if you don't address your diabetes. That is an awesome thing to basically hit home. You say two-thirds. Up to two-thirds will experience, will experience some decline or total loss of sexual function. Wow. And keep in mind that type 2 diabetes, which is the more common form of diabetes, affecting mm-hmm. about 90% of the diabetic population, is commonly a disease of people over 40 and people who are already having some lifestyle issues, obesity, that kind of thing, which can also come, you know, contribute to a decline in sexual function. But there's peripheral neuropathy that happens with diabetes and that affects the penis. Of course. Of course. Now, tell me, what are, one of my first questions for you is the, when we speak of chronic illnesses and Mm -hmm. you as a, you know, chronic health, you know, specialist, to what diseases are you referring and what percentage of the U.S. population would this be impacting? The current estimate is that 50% of all adults in the United States have a chronic illness. Hello. (laughs) Right. 50%. That includes diabetes, prediabetes, and it's estimated that 50% of the population by the year 2020 will have one of those diagnoses. HIV and AIDS, cancer, heart disease, stroke, obesity, arthritis, and then all of the other chronic conditions that are a little bit less typical, things like multiple cirrhosis, lupus, um, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, all of those kinds of conditions. So if you figure that fully 50% of us have a chronic disease, and quite often people have more than one condition, Mm -hmm. um, but that basically means we're all impacted. We're in a relationship with these people. Right, because here's the thing. If 50% has it, then chances are if you're that other 50%, you may be in a relationship with someone who has something. Exactly. Exactly. Or you're related to that person. So this is your father, your mother, your sister that has the chronic condition. Right. It it pretty much impacts all of us. uh, Now, when we speak of these numbers, and you're saying by, you said, 2020? By 2020, half of the U.S. population is predicted to either have type 2 diabetes or to have pre-diabetes, which is a condition that can be, you can manage yourself out of it via diet and exercise quite often. You can manage yourself into full diabetes if you don't take care of it. Correct. And, you know, it's like each day one little tiny change in your behavior can have you go from one direction to another direction. Right, and this is what health psychologists address quite often is, you know, we address the grief and loss issues around lifestyle changes, pain, uh, you know, difficulties in managing finances, schedules, things like that. But we address the obstacles to getting well or maintaining what health there is. And a lot of times there's a lot of discouragement, leads to things like noncompliance with medication regimens, not eating properly, not exercising properly, sometimes failure to take medication or to get treatment for depression and anxiety, which commonly accompany a large number of chronic illnesses. So we work on all of those things in terms of identifying what 
what's going on, what's preventing the person from taking care of themselves, and how can we actually get them to take better care of themselves. Right. Now, we have probably another 30 seconds until our first break, and we do have 30 seconds. And when we come back, my guest this evening is Dr. Gretchen Kubachi, and she is a health psychologist. We're going to be talking about the things. Now, I want to know, can we reverse the trend of the 50%? And then we're going to be talking about what people can do about the impacts on their sexual function and their sex lives and how they relate with other people. So please stay with us because the little tunes are going to be coming up here in just one second. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on TogiNet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Gretchen Kubachi, who is a health psychologist, and her specialty and area is 
sexuality that we're going to talk about this evening is sexuality and chronic illness. Now, if anyone would like to call in, if you're listening to this live, if you have a question for you or for a friend or a loved one, it is 877-864-4869. Repeating again, 877-864-4869. And Gretchen, you are based in Los Angeles, but more so, if I'm not mistaken, you're in Santa Monica? I'm in West Los Angeles, Pico and Overland. Okay. And so, and if people want to get a hold of you, is the best place the website um, askdrgretchen.com? No, oh, no, the best the best website is drkubaki.com, D-R-K-U-B-A-C-K-Y.com, drkubaki.com. Okay. okay. And I'm putting, a, I'm putting an H in your name, and I will take that out <laughs> immediately. Immediately. Now... So before the break, we were speaking of the you know the numbers growing, and is there a way we can reverse that trend? But what I'd also like you to speak to is the whole person treatment model that isn't happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, those are great questions. Um, I definitely think that there is a growing trend. Uh, there are a number of diseases, too, that were once considered fatal, like cancer, and that are now actually becoming chronic illnesses. The other one that comes to mind is HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. was once absolutely a terminal disease and now is considered a chronic illness to manage. So we have growing numbers of people who are living with certain conditions. And we also, in terms of sexual health, have an upsurge in the number of young people. And by young people, I mean those under 30 mm-hmm. who have a sexually transmitted disease. I would say that almost 100% of my clients under the age of 30 have one or more sexually transmitted diseases, mm-hmm. uh, usually uh, herpes and um, HPV, uh, mm-hmm. that they cannot get rid of. So those are the conditions that people carry forward with them and that have lifetime impacts in terms of lifestyle and, and you know, life decisions. And so I think that there are a number of factors that are contributing to why we are not looking at a whole person treatment model. The first is that if you exclusively use Western medicine, which is a wonderful and amazing thing and has saved my life a couple of times. Uh, (laughs) I'm very, very grateful to Western medicine. You will find that it has become something that is all about specialization. So Mm -hmm. we literally now have orthopedic surgeons, for example, who only specialize in knees or ankles or shoulders. And we have diabetic specialists who only specialize in type 1 diabetics and other doctors who only specialize in animal animal bites when it comes to infectious disease and that sort of thing. And they're very focused and very good at what they do, but there's no one listening to the entire person. Very rarely, and, and you know, there are a good handful of doctors who really do listen. We hope that those are our internists and our general practitioners, but a lot of us do not go to our internists or general practitioners. We maybe see our gynecologist once a year and, and consider that as primary care treatment, or we um, will send ourselves off to a specialist uh, for any good at this sort of thing and bypass the person who's supposedly keeping an eye on the whole person. And, and you mentioned quite often the mental health elements are really overlooked. Doctors are very much time pressured mm-hmm. uh, as, 
as a result of insurance company requirements. Uh, many of them are seeing as many as six patients an hour, which um, is a very limited amount of time to ask questions, diagnose, explain a treatment, prescribe the treatment, and get the patient out of there. The issues of mental health and particularly sexual health and functioning are not asked very often. And those things really are a huge area that's overlooked and that contributes to a lot of unhappiness and actual mental illness. Huge amounts, huge amounts. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also, you know, the insurance issues around some of this stuff, which is that it's considered sort of a secondary thing, the mental health and the sexual health. And with mental health, we've had a lot of changes legally and financially in the insurance industry as a result of, of what's called parity law and also as a result of the comprehensive national health care law changes. So that's very much in flux right now. People are woefully ignorant about their insurance benefits. Um, yeah. I can't I can't tell you how many people don't know whether or not they have mental health care covered under their insurance policy or if so what degree of coverage that it provides. And they will often be fearful about the costs or the time or the process. And so they're not dealing with those things. And doctors also don't want to open up that can of worms. You know, it's so much easier to ask a person if their knee hurts than how their sex life is. Right. Now, and here's the other thing. Just I know for me that some people will say, well, I don't want to have to go and see a therapist because what happens if it shows up on a reporting and what happens if people see that? They'll think that I have a problem. Yeah, my perspective on that as a therapist is that coming and asking for help, if you feel like you do have a problem, is a sign of strength and of good mental health mm -hmm. or a desire for good mental health. Those are legitimate fears, but where I find that it's really relevant, um, sometimes I see people in the military and they may indeed have some issues getting a certain type of security clearance if they have certain diagnoses on their records. Um, so that is a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people do, you always have the right to opt out of using your insurance. And some people I recommend doing that because they don't want to have that record. I always have to keep a record for legal and ethical purposes, but then it mm -hmm. wouldn't be shared with anyone diagnostically. Right. So there is some legitimate discrimination that goes on. I just had a conversation with a financial planner last night, and he said that for getting long-term care insurance, one of the main companies he works with automatically rejects you if you have ever been prescribed Prozac. I don't know why they really? Prozac out of all of the antidepressants. But you could have been on Prozac for a month, and they would reject you for a long-term care policy. Interesting. So, there is some really serious discrimination that's really inappropriate, I think, and that's that's a problem, you know, because mental health care that's good can be expensive, mm -hmm. and, you know, people do want to legitimately maximize their insurance benefits and coverage, but there's also a lot of fear and, I think, leftover stigma about mental illness, and so much of it is simply you have an illness that manifests in a way that we call mental as opposed to physical. It's the whole body. We can't separate the mind or the brain from the body. No, and every thought that you have impacts every cell in your body. Right. So from that perspective, you know, when I speak about the whole person treatment model, 
there are all of those issues. And, and there are plenty of people who say, oh, well, this is my body, and I'm going to go get it fixed by this specialist and, and forget about the rest of that stuff. But that's not what my experience shows. My experience shows that, and a lot of research backs up, that you, know, you can hugely impact healing as a result of your thought process and, and getting support and all of those things. So when I talk about that, I'm really talking comprehensively. The things that I look at include, of course, the physical issues, right. sexual issues, the purely mental issues, like what are people's ideas about what's going on with them and why it happened and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Financial stuff, environmental issues, you know, what is a, how is a person living and how is that impacting their health or their ability to be healthy. Their creativity, uh, their spirituality, mm-hmm. the, the nature and degree and longevity of their relationships, and also their work and their sense of purpose and how do they identify their value in the world. Right, so, and the, you know, right smack dab yeah. and Maslow's thing of, you know, the needing and the belonging and wanting to be part of something. Right, right, and all of those things are really important, and when when one or more parts fade into the background, which is often what happens when you are diagnosed with a chronic illness, you know, that illness can really take over your life sometimes. Like the typical example would be a cancer patient who all of a sudden is facing surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and daily doctor's appointments, basically. And everything else falls to the wayside. And that's necessary for survival, but then what's left? Uh-huh. And then, so they're, they shift from being identifying themselves as, you know, I am, you know, Eleanor, whomever, to all of a sudden I'm a cancer patient. Right. So, you know, I talk about using person-first language, which comes from the disability world, mm-hmm. which is to say, instead of saying I'm a diabetic, say I'm a person with diabetes. So putting the person first in the equation, mm-hmm. uh, I think is oh, helpful yeah. in in terms of the languaging and the thought process around that, because, for example, I have diabetes, but that's not my entire identity. It's not Gretchen is a diabetic. It's I'm a person who has diabetes, among other things. Mm-hmm. So, now, uh, if, go ahead. Uh, so I think it's helpful in kind of separating also from that uh, global identification with I'm a cancer patient or I'm a diabetic or that sort of thing that sounds so ominous. Right, which takes it away from, you know, the, if you say I'm a person with, it's more like I'm mm-hmm. a person who's with and I'm a person who's dealing with this. Exactly. When when you are, we have two minutes until our, our next break at the half. Mm-hmm. If you were to say, what are some suggestions you would give to people if they're going in to see someone and they want to adopt this whole person treatment? What I tell people, rather than waiting until you're face-to-face with someone because your mind may go blank, write out your three most important issues you want to deal with. Is it, I'm not having any orgasms? Is it, I don't have any feeling of, you know, in certain areas of my body? I don't have any flexibility. I, you know, had a hip transplant. They're telling me I can't do something. Yeah, I think that writing the issues down is critically important. I always tell my patients to do that when they're going to see a medical doctor. And mm-hmm. if they feel distressed somehow coming in to see me, I ask them to write it down and just they can bring in a list and hand it to me or they can refer to it as we're talking. I think it's also important to screen out your providers as much as you can. So I'll always talk to someone, a prospective client on the phone for a little while mm-hmm. and have them, they should feel free to ask the kinds of questions like, how do you practice? Do you believe in the mind-body connection? 
are you going to respect me going for acupuncture and herbs instead of going back to the internist every three weeks? Precisely. They should feel free to ask those kinds of questions so that they can get a sense of who I or another practitioner is. You're going to have Mm -hmm. a harder time getting through with those questions to the medical doctor typically until a first appointment. Right. But you can do a little research on it. Right. Here come our tunes. (laughs) I'm here with Dr. Gretchen Kubaki, and we will be back after this break. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Mystery is filled with both highs and lows victories and struggles it can be the best job of the world but it can also be the hardest where do you find the balance between serving god and the joy of truly knowing him wellspring tending the heart of ministry with joanna weaver thursday afternoons at 5 p.m central join us each week as pastor's wife best-selling author and host joanna weaver interviews women who serve god from the heart both those who are well known and those who minister in less visible ways You'll discover tools for the ministry, but more importantly, you'll learn how to give God access to the deep places in your heart. For ministry is more than what we just do in public. It is who we are in private. Wellspring is here to inspire you to look into your heart of hearts and invest in the place ministry truly begins. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So join us for an hour that just might change your life. It's Wellspring, tending the heart of ministry with host Joanna Weaver. Thursday afternoons at 5 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. My guest this evening is Dr. Gretchen Kubaki. She is a health psychologist based in West Los Angeles here um, in California. And on the break, she made a comment on something to me that I thought, ooh, I'd love to start this segment with. Gretchen, you refer to someone having an invisible illness. Yes. What I think of in terms of illness is 
and, and illness that impacts sexuality is when you see something really visible, like say a person in a wheelchair or a person with an amputation, you kind of immediately get that there's a problem there. And if you think about it a little bit further, you think, oh, how does that person in the wheelchair who's a paraplegic actually have sex? Mm-hmm. Or how does the person with no hands have sex? Mm-hmm. And the problem is that most of the illnesses that are chronic now are pretty invisible. Sure, we see people uh, having chemotherapy, for example, who have lost their hair. Mm-hmm. And we know that they are in treatment and they have an illness. But you think about other things that we treat quite commonly, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome. I, at this point, because it's one of my very particular specialties, can recognize a body type that belongs to that category easily, but almost nobody else can. Mm-hmm. Someone who has really arthritic hands and who has difficulty with any sort of, of manual activity. Someone who's had mastectomy and who's had reconstruction who may have movement limitations and lack of sensation, but she has great-looking breasts. Uh, all of these things, and, and you know, someone who has erectile dysfunction, you're not going to see that or know that until you get to know them much more intimately. Um, so there's a whole range of things that fit into this category of invisible illness. People who have, say, lupus, for example, mm-hmm. they may be tired a lot, but they'll have long periods of remission, and no one has the slightest idea that they have an illness. Most of the time, you wouldn't know that somebody who has diabetes has diabetes unless they tell you. Or Crohn's. Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, all of these things. Like, you can learn to recognize the cues and clues that lead you in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of us, if we're not practicing in the world of medicine or a medical health psychology specialty, are not really attuned to those sorts of things. So we don't know what's going on with people. And again, 50% of the population is dealing with some form of chronic illness. If you look around, you don't look and go, 50% of these people are gravely ill. You just don't. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, you don't. You look and you see, you know, every person from every walk of life. So here comes, let's, give, let's do a scenario of patient A comes in and which one would you like to choose and what would you, how would you walk them through suggestions or treatment and, and what they might be dealing with? Uh, let's start with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. So that, that patient comes to see me. She, of course, she's always female because men don't have ovaries. And... <laughs> So I I ask questions about what's going on, what sort of symptoms she's having. Really common symptoms set for polycystic ovarian syndrome not only includes excessive abdominal weight and extreme difficulty losing weight, but because there's an excess of androgens, which are the male hormones, Mm -hmm. women often develop facial hair. So it used to be known as the bearded lady's disease. Oh, okay. So when you see a woman with a lot of chin hairs, it's quite possible she's got polycystic ovarian syndrome. On the flip side, it can also, because of the excess androgens, cause male pattern uh, balding, which is equally Mm. horrifying, if not more so, because you can pretty easily treat the excess hair. You know, we've all got our methods for doing that. But uh, for a woman who is going bald in a stereotypically male way, yeah, male pattern baldness. Oof. Male pattern baldness, right. So, mm-hmm. And then acne, again, because it's a hormone imbalance. Uh, so you have a woman who quite often typically is dealing with excess weight, acne, excess hair growth, or possibly hair loss, along with over half the time depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder is a pretty common diagnosis. 
And they're often misdiagnosed. It's written off as, oh, it's your hormones. It's out of balance. The other interesting thing that happens as far as the sexuality aspect of it is not only feeling extremely unfeminine Mm -hmm. and unattractive and highly sensitized about things like weight or the chin hairs or the mustache, uh, is that a lot of women will experience kind of a flip, like a, like a switch that flips back and forth between an overly high libido. Mm-hmm. So they're horny all the time, like 16-year-old males, only they're 40-year-old women. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Which, if you're not feeling good about yourself physically, it's really hard to act on that. On the other side, equally as common, is very low libido. And that often gets written off by doctors as a side effect of medication or, well, she's fat, so, of course, she doesn't feel sexy. Other things like that, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're giving the side because that is a comment that I hear far too often. Right. Coming back from doctors, really insensitive doctors who don't get how deeply this is impactful. So the suggestions that I, I walk a woman through in terms of dealing with polycystic ovarian syndrome are, first and foremost, to get the medical issues addressed. There are limited but effective things that can be done Mm -hmm. and start dealing with taking control over it and getting proper diagnosis. So I make referrals to physicians who are actually really sensitive to the emotional and physical aspects and who do very kind of structured screening and application of medications as needed. I also talk to them about all of the alternative possibilities and see if I can open up their minds a bit about some of the other possibilities and get them to really take ownership about the things they can control, which are diet and exercise. Right. And which are hugely impactful because PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, has um, a big insulin resistance component to it. I also provide some what's called psychoeducation about Mm -hmm. it to teach them what are the possible side effects of ignoring this condition. And And what are they? Side effects that are very common are early onset type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, thyroid issues, and development of or exacerbation of depression or anxiety. So, so just not, not, your, not the buffet you want to be choosing from. Uh, no, and by the way, polycystic ovarian syndrome is responsible for 75% of infertility cases in women. Is it really? Yeah. That so, high? Yeah, and that's quite often when they get diagnosed is they cannot get pregnant, and then eventually they discover that they have this thing called PCOS. But often I talk to women who have no idea that this is actually really serious and that they should be dealing with it now in their 20s, 30s, 40s before they have a heart attack or some other development that's really now, Gretchen, Gretchen, 75% of women dealing with infertility, have, have are there different forms of polycyst, uh, polycystic no. ovarian? No, it's really, it's a very uh, strange name for the condition. It's actually a syndrome, not a disease, and there's two or three different sets of diagnostic criteria for it. Okay. The, the most common one is that there are multiple cysts in the ovaries and then the hirsutism and, like, one other criteria, um, like so in other words, we've got one levels. Yeah. So it's got the polycystic on the ovaries, the hirsutism, mm-hmm. the beard, and then the right. third... The third thing would be having an elevated uh, insulin resistance or actually like being in a pre-diabetic category. Okay. Would typically be the screening criteria. So different doctors will address it differently. There's a whole battery of tests that can be done to assess, but getting that proof of elevated androgens is really kind of where you're looking ultimately. And is that the one that, you know, sort of tips the scale? 
Yes, that's the thing that causes the acne, the hair loss, the hair growth, <laughs> the libido issues. Now, why is it so common? Is, okay, let me ask you that again. Is it common? And if it yes. is common, why is it so common? It is most commonly estimated that about 10% of the population of women has PCOS. Most current estimates I am hearing are 20%. I think that there are a number of factors that contribute to this, going to the very basic idea that once upon a time diabetics died and or were discouraged from having children. This is a disease of insulin resistance, and diabetics can now have children, and so there's, there are many more people being born who have a tendency towards insulin resistance. I think there are also a lot of environmental factors, things like xenoestrogens, right. environmental contamination, the quality of the food. I think we've had radical dietary shifts in oh, the last definitely. 50 years, mm-hmm. and the kind of diet that is more common American diet, which is high fat, high carb, low protein, low vegetable, mm-hmm. is the exact opposite of the diet that someone with PCOS needs. So I think that there is, if there's an underlying tendency in that direction, it's really being brought out much earlier nowadays. Well, when pizza in schools is considered tomato sauce as a vegetable? Right. <laughs> well, you know, ketchup was vegetable, right? So why would it be a vegetable? <laughs> Um, but I, I think all of those things contribute to the development of it. And, of course, better screening procedures. And there's mm-hmm. actually a looser screening criteria now for PCOS as there is for diabetes, for high cholesterol, for high blood pressure. All of those sets of diagnostic criteria have been systematically lowered over at least the last 20 years. So thus we're getting far more diagnoses in all of those categories. Now, for the women who have this, and we have two minutes until our break, my guest mm-hmm. is Dr. Gretchen Kubaki, and we are discussing polycystic ovarian syndrome. Thank you. And mm-hmm. what can do these women get this diagnosis or someone tells them and then they don't really think it's going to be much of an issue from a sexuality standpoint, from a fertility standpoint? Right. Most of them don't think about that at all. If they're lucky, they get a doctor who actually tells them about the complexities of the disorder and they can start dealing with it. Quite often the first thing that they're aiming for and that's most bothersome to them is dealing with the hair issues and dealing with weight issues. And, and that's what brings them in. Right. Or infertility is commonly what they show up with and then get the diagnosis of PCOS. But too often they're told, oh, it's PCOS. We're going to give you some medication to hyperstimulate you. Or if we get really desperate, we're going to give you IVF or IUI or whatever other form of assistance. So they'd hyperstimulate the ovaries for... Like to to force a release of eggs. Yeah. Right. So... Uh, and once you get into the world of assisted reproductive technology, your sex life is history. It's a mechanized, routinized thing that's often got doctorly intervention under bright lights while you're sitting in stirrups. Oh, no, so, exactly, exactly. Now, we have 10 seconds until our, <laughs> our final break. Gretchen, <laughs> we are going to be talking about what are we going to tell these women and men when we come back after our break? What are going to be our step-by-step solutions for them with chronic illnesses? Please stay with us.
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Want to be challenged in a powerful way to leap beyond what you think is possible? Then join us Mondays for the Leah Jansen Show. Every Monday at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Tugginet.com with Leah Jansen. Listen live as life coach Leah uses her coaching skills to give you the tools you need to take action and create momentum. You are encouraged to call in and share your greatest fears, challenges, and obstacles. And then listen as Leah obliterates those barriers to success. For more on Leah and the show, check out her website, LeahJansen.com. That's Leah, L-E-A-H, J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. Spend one hour with Leah, and you'll be captivated by her energy, enthusiasm, and magnetism. You'll quickly become addicted to her positive attitude and make-it-happen mentality. Ready for a life-changing, mood-altering show? Then get ready for Leah Jansen. And listen live to The Leah Jansen Show every Monday morning at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my, my guest is Dr. Gretchen Kubaki. She is a health psychologist in West Los Angeles. And before the break, we were speaking of the percentage of women with infertility issues who end up being diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, Gretchen, I also want, if you can, to like go step-by-step step in our final segment and give someone who has arthritic hands or arthritic knees. Let's say they come in, you say, look, we know you're dealing with this. Here are some of your options, and these are the directions that I'd like to point you in. Okay. So in any case, what I want to do with someone who has any of these conditions um, 
would be to really identify the true problem and the depth and extent of the problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have something that's very mild, it's a new diagnosis, and there's just a lot of fear about being unable to conduct their sexual activities. Sometimes there really is a problem. Sometimes there's a hormonal imbalance that contributes to vaginal dryness, for example, or you have someone who's simply not able to support themselves on one elbow or one wrist or whatever that is right. interfering with things. Um, so to get a sense of the true nature of it, and if they've been too afraid to go to a doctor or a physical therapist or somebody who can accurately assess their condition, I definitely want to send them out for those medical assessments. Uh, I also encourage them to develop a team approach to this. I think that they need a Western medical practitioner. They need somebody who can help them with alternatives, things like diet, exercise physiology, um, possibly herbs. Acupuncture is really helpful for a lot of conditions. Uh, So I, I... if they're willing and able. I also talk to them about their spirituality and their relational support. Oh, which and is huge for many people. Yeah. Those, those things are very important. It helps people context, you know, why is this happening to me? What is this about? Why am I being punished? Why am I suffering? That sort of thing. And looking at the support, it's very important to me as a relational therapist that I am able to identify how much support do they have? Do they have colleagues, friends, 85 people on Facebook, where are they getting their support from and and what form is it coming in and how real is it? You know, is it Um, it a Bordeaux or someone named Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I really encourage them to be very proactive about not being a victim of their disease or condition, but to look at the possibilities. I'm kind of Miss Silver Lining, so I can always find the positive side of things, but I look at at the options I go over them, you know, what are their specific complaints and issues about what's going on relative to their condition, and what are the positive things that we can do about it or ways that we can work around it? What are the alternatives? Do they need to spend some time in therapy? Do they need to go to physical therapy? Do they need to work with a sex therapist? What specifically do they need? Do they need to get a medication adjustment from their doctor? Thank you. Thank you. That was Um, going to be one of my next questions. Yeah, that's a huge one, actually. Um, And I also talk to them really about, you know, we we work through a lot of the grief and loss issues about what the losses are that are associated with their condition, you know, whether it is um, some form of sexual functioning or having uh, stamina to actually be able to engage in sexual activity or if they have too much pain going on that just it's uncomfortable. What are the losses? And what can be done to give them comfort and intimacy and pleasure that isn't necessarily what we traditionally and classically consider to be sexual, like not just about intercourse. Well, you know, and I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Bernie Zilbergeld, he said he was, you know, an icon in our field, and his comment was when he talked to people who considered themselves to be great lovers, he said some of these people were not having intercourse at all. But right. they, how they were able to feel about one another and feel connected to one another mm-hmm. and the intimacy of it. Um, now, I know for some men, their issues are like, I want to know that I can be, you know, I want to know I can have an erection. I want to know right. I can do, you know, have penetration. And yeah, and there's... And that sort of issue is also, you know, people go through things unrelated to illness issues, but just generally related to aging. 
and the bodily changes that are associated with that. So mm-hmm. it's something where often, and this especially applies to men, is that they may have to relearn how to be sexual in that way. So a 16-year-old man versus a 70-year-old man is going to have a very different kind of intercourse. You know, um, there's going to be... <laughs> well, there's no, 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 no question on that. And then here's the other thing. Often, once once someone learned at 16, they often don't learn a whole lot more on occasion. Exactly. And it's kind of like, listen, this is the, your body communicating and your body saying what words cannot. You have got to add more to your vocabulary. Exactly. And I, and I think that they learn enough to get the job done at a young for the, age. Well, for the, maybe for they don't adapt. Exactly. Right. And and yet, when something like this does happen, I do, do know for having worked with the severely injured soldiers, that for mm-hmm. some of them, they they literally take on a whole new way of, okay, this is whether they hated at first their new normal, mm-hmm. but they also then look at... For them, often because they are young and they are in new relationships, they're like, oh, no, I am not giving up on my sex life. Mm-hmm. And that's something yeah. that I, I think people who have chronic illnesses have to realize. You do not have to give up on this. You do not have to say it's no longer there. Right. And I think that's a hard adaptation for people to make. That is not something that happens just because I say it or just because you say it. It's something True. that they really have to practice with, experiment in quiet and in secret and and sort of see is this maybe true so i talk a lot about the nature of possibility mm-hmm. and of of holding hope so sometimes when somebody will say this is hopeless i completely give up i, I can't do this like that that's just a gone part of my life you know I'll say can you imagine the possibility that there might be a one percent chance that that is actually not true and i almost always can get a yes out of them Mm-hmm. That's a whole different situation clinically. But most people can sort of imagine that maybe there's a tiny bit of hope. And mm-hmm. I'll take that 1% and roll with it and mm-hmm. build on it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I go about it, to give them a glimmer of hope and a desire to mm-hmm. see if there is a possibility there. Now, Gretchen, please let people know how they can find you at, because – I'm sure for people listening, it's like, okay, what is it, you know, where are there people like this woman around? The easiest ways to reach me are to call me at Mm 310-625-6083 or to email me at askdrgretchen at gmail.com, A-S-K-D-R-G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N.com, or to go in through my website, which is Dr. Kubaki, K-U-B-A-C-K-Y.com, and there's an inquiry form on there. Right. Now, and I'll also have your um, information up on my, um, on the TogiNet site. Okay. And right. um, in the, you know, in the, the search terms, because I know when people, they find something, then they go, oh, gosh, how do I, how do I track this person down? Because mm-hmm. when someone is looking, let's say someone's not in West Los Angeles, let's say they are in you know, uh, Arizona, let's say they're in, you know, New Hampshire, Mm-hmm. What do you suggest they do to find someone who can help them, who would have a similar attitude? 
That is a little bit challenging, but the great thing is that while I cannot practice psychotherapy across state lines, I am also a health coach, and so I do counseling and consulting and health coaching for people. A lot of times people hire me for an hour or three sessions to do kind of an intensive Mm-hmm. Gretchen's brain session, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we can do that. We can do that on the phone or via Skype. Okay. Um, locally, for them to find things, it depends really on what their specific problem is. So, for infertility, I would send them to Resolve.org, which has a lot of resources on it, or the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM.org. Uh, you can also Google the term health psychologist or do a search like on Psychology Today mm-hmm. for people who specialize in chronic illness or grief and loss, that kind of thing. And you can find some people who consider themselves to be health psychologists. Or the other way would be to see if a physician that you trust has a psychologist that they refer to often so that that person has a familiarity, like that that person sees a lot of cardiac cases, for example. Mm-hmm. And, sometimes, and sometimes the social workers at hospitals, if somebody's been in the hospital for a chronic illness like a diabetic crisis or cancer, there are a lot of great cancer programs, actually, that have this sort of um, help available. So, But, again, you have to ask questions and see because I'm my own unique formulation of a whole bunch of different things and kind of my own thinking about what really works. Not everyone is as aggressive as I am about getting people reoriented towards the positive. Um, Well, you've had to do that. I mean, you've been a cut to the chase as a result of what you've had to deal with. Right. I have been through a whole lot of medical stuff in my life. I've had 22 surgeries, most of them related to polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I've had a lot of grief from doctors about the mystery condition that I was dealing with and a lot of uh, dismissal as a result of it. So I come to this with a very strong personal as well as professional experience. Mm-hmm. And that's really integrated into my practice is, is a lot of that personal experience. And, and I mean, you're, what I got from you when I, you know, first heard you speak was, listen, let me give you the information and put you in the driver's seat. Don't exactly. have you just, this is, this is not you sitting in the passenger side, you know, going along for the ride. You're asking the questions and you're driving the, the, the boat on you getting, you know, the care that you want. Now, we have less than a minute left in our program. My guest okay. this evening is Dr. Gretchen Kubaki, and again, you can reach her online at askdrgretchen at gmail.com. Her contact information will be on my um, Sex Talk with Lou uh, on my uh, TogiNet site. Gretchen, we have 30 seconds left. Anything special you'd like to share with people? I just want people to know that there is help out there and to not be discouraged if they're experiencing some sexual dysfunction or some mental health issues grief and loss, anxiety, depression related to an illness. That's normal and appropriate, and there's a lot of ways to deal with it, and they should ask for help and not be ashamed of it. Thank you, my dear. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. (laughs) And here comes our outro. Gretchen, Dr. Gretchen Kubaki was my guest this evening. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget. 